Hello, everybody. It's Brian Janikowski. We're making this podcast on Thursday, September the 21st, so a day earlier than our normal deadline. I'm Christian Thwaites. And I'm Emily Taken-Verts, and let's get started with Market Chat this week. So, uh, Christian, we... The stocks reached an all stocks reached an all time high this week, um, and you know it has been uh, a pretty rosy story in terms of the stock market um, this all this year. But I want you know this week we're talking about all time highs. Last week we talked about low inflation and wages, and I don't um, I know that those things aren't necessarily directly correlated. But I'm wondering if you could talk about. Um, this difference that we're seeing in light of the all-time high in the stock market continually rising while still seeing low growth um, and and wages not ticking up at all. Um, we've, we've discussed this kind of imbalance before. What do you make of it? Well, I, I think at one level it's quite easy to explain in that wages have been uh, very tightly uh, controlled, the increase has been very uh, low and slow. And we've had graphs which people can look at on the prior pod, uh, uh, blogs where we've just shown that you know, wages have been growing at a very, very low rate. Remember last week we talked about household income and it's only back to the 1999 level, so it was sort of stagnant, essentially dipped down for 18 years. So uh, it, it's pretty clear that in the economy the share taken by wages has declined and the share taken by corporate profits has increased so at some at, at the most basic level you know wages are are as i said sort of you know growing slowly uh, if at all in a lot of industries and the uh, companies are essentially taking what they would normally have paid in higher wages so that explains why uh, the, the the corporate sector has done pretty well and continues to do Pretty well, and and that's why I think we've seen, um, you know, another all-time high last week. I think some of that is just the indications that uh, the earnings season might be a little bit better than expected. I think it's mostly driven by the uh, weaker dollar that we've had, and uh, and and also a, a clearer indication from the Fed about the likelihood of a December rate increase, not and they're not bringing it forward from what people thought it might have been. So, there's all those things that going to continue to keep stocks pretty well bid. And, you know, this displacement of wages uh, by capital, why is that important? And what does that mean long term for our economy and, and the future of, of workers um, and markets? Well, I mean, it, it's a big problem. It's vexing politicians. Clearly, they're talking about it. Uh, academics um, and sort of what I would call business economists as well as the, as well as the Fed. Um, it's a global phenomenon. It's happening in Europe uh, and a little, and also to Japan, but not quite the same extent. And I think the reason why wages remain low—it's a host of reasons. Some of it is demographics. Some some of it is the move to more part-time and temporary jobs, which don't pay very well. Uh, some of it is decline in manufacturing, increase in services. Uh, in the U.S., I think some of it's due to rising healthcare costs, which don't really show up in compensation. So employers will put money into that rather than in people's pockets, and you know a, fair, a labor market which I still think is is recovering from the shocks of 2008, 2009, despite the headline unemployment number being about four and a half percent. So it's 
it, I think it, it's a problem uh, in that the imbalance at some point has to give. Uh, you know, corporate profits can't keep accruing and getting mm-hmm. higher and higher margins and taking more and more of the share without some sort of uh, consequences. And I and I think the first realm of consequences has been in the uh, political side. And I don't see any change in the short term. But I think you know we we as investors we you know we can kind of enjoy the corporate profitability increase, but uh, but long term. The concern is, yeah, but where's the increasing demand going to come from? Because we're not growing the population very much and we're not giving people increased wages. And so do you see that imbalance correcting uh, through a stock market crash or through wages rising? No, not not necessarily a stock market crash. Maybe neither. Maybe it... I mean, I, I think one thing is the growth trajectory and then one thing is if it kind of levels off. Uh, and, and I honestly don't know the answer to this. Uh, I mean, I, I, you would think that wages would come under pressure, and that's clearly what the Fed thinks. A lot of, you know, respected, you know, mainstream economists, and I don't mean mainstream that they get it wrong, they're very good, but they do see the wage inflation uh, as coming. Uh, I don't, um, but, you know, I, I don't like to be proved wrong, but <laughs> so far we've seen very little sign of it. Let's turn to the Fed. Last week, uh, you highlighted something that we talked about last week, which was um, uh, there are two camps emerging now um, at the Fed uh, that are kind of explaining the low inflation that we're seeing. Uh, One, uh, which I think Janet Yellen seems to be a part of, is um, looking at inflation as just subject to transitory forces. Um, you know, as we said, uh, low gasoline prices, uh, low wireless, although they don't make up that much um, of the index. Uh, but uh, the, another camp is arguing that perhaps we're just going to see persistently low inflation. Um, and what are some of the outcomes um, of persistent low inflation? Um, you know, certainly well, it makes uh, the Fed's job a little bit uh, harder in terms of, of the ability to lower rates if we see a ne- uh, another recession. But w- what are some of those outcomes? Well, it, it, you're right. There, there are two camps, and uh, and in, in my in my um, view, the second camp, the first camp, essentially says two percent is going to come around the corner anytime soon. The other camp says, oh, hang on a minute, maybe we've had a a, a permanent change in the way inflation is um, is is viewed at viewed by you know employers and 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 workers and and consumers, and they're going to be very resistant to price increases. Uh, you know, firms and suppliers won't be able to pass them on, and we're going to be stuck at a very low inflation rate. And that's the one that worries me more because you know an economy teetering into deflation is a real real problem. When prices start to fall. In, certainly in nominal terms, but also can happen in real terms. The economy can seize up really, really quickly. And the example I always think of is that, it, you know, if you're a bank and you give a loan to uh, a, a whoever it is, whether it's someone buying a mortgage or someone setting up uh, an office plant, and um, and and the and the goods being uh, produced from that, let's say, plant. Uh, used to sell at 100 and now they're going to sell at 95 they're not going to be able to pay their loans back and the, the loans stay static the the prices from which they can <coughs> repay them start to fall so you know so essentially just credit seizes up so i'm i'm worried about that 
because, uh, as I said, I think that stops the economy dead in its tracks. Um, and I think some other, a couple of other Fed governors are. But um, anyway, so I think that's the real, the real problem. Uh, I think the Fed might like look through inflation for a while and be more focused on unemployment. And it was pretty clear from the comments that Janet Yellen made yesterday that we're going to have a December hike. And the other thing, Emily, is that we've talked about this uh, last couple of weeks when Stanley Fisher resi- uh, announced his resignation. The Fed's going to go into some pretty big internal turmoils. In the next few months, you got, you know, will Janet Yellen be renominated? Uh, you know, who knows? There's no sort of indication from the from the White House who they favor right now. Uh, you've got, I think, three or four open slots we talked about at the at the Federal Reserve System. So, you know, they've got their own internal dynamics. And then, of course, every December, the voting uh, the, the 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 voting members of the FOMC changes as the regional Feds ex the New York Fed recycle. So we got a different Fed next year. I want to turn to Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> you wrote about Bitcoin this week, um, and you'd said that, you know, you don't profess to be an expert in this area, but I don't think a lot of people are. So I'm wondering if you could just share uh, what is kind of some of the, the arguments that you're seeing for Bitcoin, and, um, and why don't you buy them? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, everyone's got a view on them. I mean, Jamie Dimon, of, uh, you know, chairman CEO of J.P. Morgan, made some pretty, um, pretty uh, loud and explosive comments, which I think are dead on the money. Actually, he talked about them being not something you should be trading on, and he would act fire a J.P. Morgan trader if he caught them doing it. Uh, but he did talk about the technological side of it uh, as being somewhat beneficial. I think that's that's where you start. The fact that it is a uh, a peer-to-peer currency management transaction uh, system. So it's meant to be very safe. Um, the number of Bitcoin units is fixed. So that's why we sort of compare it. That's why gold bugs like it, because they feel that it can't be inflated away like fiat money, fiat currency, regular money. Um, and uh, and it's anonymous and it's transaction-free. Uh, but Whenever you get something which is anonymous and peer-to-peer and not fully understood, that's when the kind of rogues come in. <laughs> and I think right now, with a number of uh, new uh, coin offerings, ICOs, initial coin offerings instead of you know initial uh, public offerings, uh, really smacks of people sort of getting on the bandwagon. And so we overlaid a graph of Bitcoin, um, which is you know has risen astronomically over the last couple of years with the tech bubble in uh, in in the late 90s and the graphs match almost almost exactly from bottom to top so just on that and some of the language being used around it just makes us concerned that there's a there's a bubble there and uh, just be very cautious of stepping into it and personally I wouldn't I, I wouldn't go near it but um, but we sort of it might be one of those frenzied phases where things settle down it becomes a little bit more mainstream um, later on but it's not not at the moment turning to international markets um, you you know we've seen a great year um, for US investors especially but you wrote about uh, the fact that a lot of that story has been due to the weakness of the dollar and I'm wondering uh, if that if if that is such a big factor, if we see that reversing, um, you know, are the reforms and is the growth and is the story um, or the better story in Europe and, and other international markets like Asia and Japan, 
um, do those still sustain those markets? Um, I, I think we have to differentiate here between the euro and Japan. Okay. So uh, Japan's fairly easy to deal with in the sense that it's still a very export-dependent economy. Uh, basically, the, the stronger the yen, the weaker the Japanese market and vice versa. Right now, we've had a, uh, a yen going weak uh, up until uh, after the election, but strengthening a little bit, but not at the levels it was you know, a couple of years ago. The euro is more interesting because, yes, there, have, there has been a strengthening of the euro um, over the course of this year, I think from a bottom of about 108 up to about 120. But a lot of the Eurozone uh, economies trade with each other. So uh, they're obviously sovereign nations and they have their own export-import balances. Uh, but if Germany is trading with France, or trading with Italy, it's all invoiced in Euros anyway. So, uh, and, their, um, and their raw material imports quite often priced in dollars, so that makes it okay. But there is a point where a really strong currency will blow the competitiveness out of the water, but it's not there yet. And uh, and I think for for us as investors, um, you know, the, the reforms trump the currency. Uh, so we've, we've enjoyed the, invest, the, the investment returns of the currency effect, but I still think there's more to come as uh, the next year or so as Europe reforms itself. And, you know, we can see that with uh, Macron. You know, he's doing some interesting stuff. And uh, that has yet really, I think, to come to full effect on the economy and the business sector. Thank you, Christian. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks, everybody. We'll be taking a short break. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But um, here's the disclosure. Please note the discussion of our investment, investment strategy, including our research investment process, represent our investments, investment strategy. The day this commentary is subject to change without notice. We can assure that the type of investments discussed in this commentary will outperform any other investment strategy in the future, nor can we guarantee that such investments will present the best or an attractive risk-adjusted investment in the future. This is for general information purposes only. References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are several of the successful as well. unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold or recommended, although we deem reliable the source of the statistical and other information referred to in this commentary. We cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance has no indication of future results.